today because of the advancement in medicine over 60-70% of procedures require some form of radiation. So- Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the MedTech Podcast. You join me your host Karadeep Singh Badwell and on this episode we have Rangul Bala, founder of Clinitrack, a company specializing in smart radiation dosimeters that reduces the time for measuring cumulative radiation from 60 days to 60 seconds. Rangul possesses an MBA in finance from the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, a master's in computer science from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and a BA and bachelor's in science in math and computer science from the State University of New York at Buffalo. He is the head managing instructor for MIT courses in AI, decentralized finance and blockchain on the 2U platform, and he is also an adjunct professor at VIT India and an ex-adjunct lecturer at Columbia University. In this episode, we explore the lack of education surrounding the pernicious consequences of radiation exposure, discover the hidden hazards healthcare workers face, oblivious to the exposure levels due to the measurement inadequacies, delve into his transition from the tech industry to medtech and the motivations behind it, uncover his strategies for funding multiple companies he nurtured and eventually sold, alongside diverse capital raising methods, and gain valuable insights from his candid revelations about the mistakes he encountered as a serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Raghu. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, Karandeep. It's a pleasure having you on. So the first question I have for you, how exactly did you get into tech and then eventually med tech from there on? Sure. So I'm uh, originally from Singapore and one of the summers when I was a middle school kid, one of my friends said, you know, let's go to this computer programming class. And this is, I'm going to date myself, but in the early 80s. And I said, you know, what is this stuff about? And so that summer I, I, I started to code and I was only like 12 or 13 or something like that. And it started there. And after that, uh, maybe a couple of years later, I got my own Apple II. I saved up for it. And, and then um, that just kept going. I did computer science at high school for my A-levels and so on. And then I moved to the United States and then I did a degree in computer science. And it just, uh, and um, you know, one of the things that when I started doing as uh, programming and stuff, I was actually following the legends like, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates because they were, uh, you know, maybe a decade or a decade and a half ahead of my you know, age-wise. And they were inventing all these things. They're paving the way for a lot of people. And I fell in love with that. And, um, and I was always thinking, okay, I got to be an entrepreneur. And, uh, and uh, so it's not just computer science and the love for tech, but also trying to use it to start a business and things like that. And so what led me to MedTech was, you know, uh, I think along the way, a lot of Indian parents want, want their kids to be doctors. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a, like a, the biggest cliche in the world. And um, so there's always an interest to look at medicine and things like that. But I, I never sort of took the courses or, you know, had this inclination. But I always was good around just knowing one's uh, self, body, health, and all of those things I, I follow at some level. And, um, and later on uh, in my career, actually, what happened was um, I 
happen to work for a lot of health insurance companies as a consultant or did projects or stuff like that so i was always at a cursory level keeping track of what's going on in the, in the industry and um, and i fell into medtech because one of the people in my in my society he's a doctor he's a spine surgeon got to know him and he wanted to build some technology in and around medicine and um, so i was starting to collaborate with him and that sort of got me from tech into medtech and eventually uh, into what we're going to talk about today which is uh, the device that we developed and got a patent for so on the topic of the device that you developed you're currently a co-founder of clinitrack and it's obviously a device that's used for radiation diagnostics so first of all why is radiation a problem in medical health and why would you say this is something that we should be more aware of sure so the facts are as follows uh, if you look back in in uh, medicine itself um, if you look back at around 1970s and so on the number of procedures that required any sort of radiation to a patient and also exposure to hospital workers and physicians and all the medical professionals was about 10% of procedures had had um, some form of radiation usually x-rays and stuff like that today because of the advancement in medicine and a lot of these imaging techniques use radiation uh, the number of procedures actually close to about 90 procedures which amounts to a significant percentage i think it's over 60 70% of procedures require some form of radiation so you're talking about things like mammography uh, uh, tomographs uh, fluoroscopes x-rays cat scans and and so on so there are a number of devices that emit radiation and uh, a number of procedures that require radiation so this is becoming a problem so one of my my co-founder is dr reddy who is not here today but then he alerted me to the fact that at every medical conference that he attends this is a topic that comes up over and over again he said something has to be done and and we got to studying the the subject more closely and figured out uh that the technology that's being used is very antiquated it's about 60 years old and and so we felt that there was a opportunity to disrupt and change the market which got us into clinitrack so when we spoke in the past you mentioned the current methods of measuring radiation exposure unfortunately there's a bit of a loophole when it comes to towards the end of the month or 30 days as you were explaining so for the listeners today yeah. what is that loophole and why is it a cause of concern Sure so the best example I give people is you know and and everyone will understand this you'll understand the fact that we had film photography uh, using film like Fuji film or Kodak film and so on and the way you used to do film photography was you take a picture and then take the you know finish the roll go to the lab process the film get your pictures printed and then that's how you get it imagine the same thing in the radiation space the 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 de facto technology that's being used for last 60 years or so is something called tld which is thermoluminescent dosimetry and what they do is actually they have a sort of a film type um uh you know i'd say a piece of a film that's inside a canister that is uh, uh worn as a badge by medical professionals and this is actually recording radiation in a kind of an analog format and because it's got some chemicals that that turn 
a certain way based on exposure to radiation so now what happens is all of the hospitals and this happens worldwide by the way they 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 issue these badges to to hospitals and and medical professionals wear it end of the month they pick up the badge um and then they give you replacement badges they go process it in a lab bring back those badges uh and also bring back your results so there's about a 60 day lag um let's imagine you're on september 1st there's a 60 day lag before you get the the results which is at the end of october so now the gap that you are talking about that i mentioned to you is as follows so let's imagine in the in the medical field um, there are different measures there's one measure called millirems so uh, the maximum a person can get exposed to in a in a given year is 5000 millirems and uh, in a month that averages out to about 400 millirems so let's imagine on september 1st you get september 1st to 15th you get 100 millirems and september middle of september to end of the month you get 300 millirems so by the current protocol they'll they'll say that okay you got 400 millirems per month you should be okay now let's imagine in october from the 1st of october to the middle of october you get 300 millirems and from the middle of october to the end of october you get 100 millirems so again they'll the, the current protocol will say yeah you got 400 yeah okay but what they miss out is the protocol doesn't say that you measure at the beginning or end of the month the protocol says you're supposed to for the last 30 rolling days you're not supposed to get more than 400 so if you use that methodology then you see that from middle of september to middle of october you would have actually had 600 millirems which is about 50% over the limit and that has got problems because now if you look at the data that's being presented by medical professionals worldwide there is a large uh, incident rate of various types of uh, uh, issues coming up one is thyroid cancer second is uh, sterility third is um, some forms of brain cancer for surgeons who use fluoroscopes in surgery so you are getting medical professionals who are getting unintended consequences very serious in fact some of them life threatening and i was talking to someone uh, last week uh, happens to be a friend of mine uh, in in london and he was telling me that he has got two friends who are radiologists one lost his hair the other guy basically died because of cancer and that's because they were just workers they didn't, they didn't get any illness or something they got illness working at the workplace due to exposure of uh, radiation so this is a pretty serious problem but the loophole i'm talking about is where things fall apart with the current protocol and the technology that's being used is incapable of 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 covering that gap because that's not how it works Yeah, I do think it's quite counterproductive that unfortunately there's healthcare workers out there improving people's lives, helping them with their health, but then at the same time they're damaging their own health in that process and I think yeah, it's a system that's quite upside down, but why would you say radiation is not much of a discussed topic, you know, when they talk about illnesses around the world, they talk about the obvious ones, you know, cardiac health, mm-hmm. respiratory issues. But why never radiation? Would you say it's because there's a slow onset or it's a very long process? What's your view on this? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good point and and the issue is this. Uh and again I'll go back to my Kodak example. So Kodak actually had digital photography in 1971. They did not change 
the that they did not bring their technology to the market and eventually the company is sort of you know we all know its demise and the reason is because other people who came in later leapfrogged them because they said this film thing doesn't make sense let's just go digital automatically because they did not have the baggage that kodak had kodak had this whole ecosystem of companies that were processing film film labs and and so on so if they brought in digital photography they would actually cannibalize the whole ecosystem that's the same problem that's happening in the industry today with those who are sort of selling this older technology because they have this ecosystem in place they're making a lot of money they don't want to disrupt it and in fact one of them has a technology similar to ours but they cannot disrupt their system because they will they make enough money to keep you know perpetuating the current uh, <laughs> current uh, um, uh, mode of uh, collecting radiation now why isn't it a big problem it is actually a big problem in medical circles it's not making headline news but in medical circles in a lot of journals and in a lot of um, uh, sort of like um, uh, bodies like in, Amer- in america there's something called jcaho which is the accrediting body for hospitals and they have been asking hospitals to kind of upgrade their technology in this particular regard and so this was one of the reasons why we got into this because we felt that it's a compelling enough problem it's a widespread problem and the funny thing is unlike many other things in in technology and in medicine and so on this is a protocol and these badges are used worldwide i've i've actually visited facilities in india in singapore in malaysia in uh, us and also spoken to people in africa everywhere people are following the same thing and the results are no better anywhere so i think it's time to bring about a change on how medical professionals are protected and and how technology helps in that regard so with the doctors that you've spoken to that are often exposed to radiation do you feel as though they ever educated on this or do you feel as though this is something that more education needs to be put out for in terms of the risks yeah so so it's a very good question actually so part of it is they are educated but also there's a kind of a lazy affair or lackadaisical attitude towards this thing and then but then they all admit even my um, my co-founder has had problems with radiation with his thyroid um, relating to this thing uh, to this this problem so it's it's a it's a serious problem but i don't know why they are not uh, even you know being more vociferous in their in their need for change and so there's a kind of a disconnect also there these medtech companies over on this side and then there's the medic medical professionals over here these folks are feeling the bearing the brunt of the lack of technology but no one from this side is actually doing something about it so we plan to be a kind of a change agent in the in the marketplace by bringing in a technology we don't have the baggage of all the other players we also have a patent and so we feel that by bringing this technology to the marketplace and educating the customer base and also putting it at a price point one of the other problems is hospitals their margins are quite thin actually worldwide and so they are kind of afraid to make big capital expenditures so one of the things we took a great deal of pains and this is part of the patent is to reduce the cost of the device itself such that it matches the cost of the existing device so you're not going to spend anything more than what you're spending today 
but you're going to get a technology which is about 60 years advanced and 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 in line with um, the connected health movement that's happening in, in medicine. And in fact, in um, just before COVID in an event, we were named one of the um, top six uh, companies in the world in connected health at that time. Uh, and then COVID came and a lot of supply chain disruptions and whatever. But anyway, we are here now, we're ready to launch and, um, and um, you know, talking to you and other folks to educate the marketplace about the, what we have and also the, the, the effects of radiation. One of the most common issues for startups, of course, is funding. What challenges have you faced raising funding for Clinitrack or did you face any issues at all? Yeah, so I mean, the, 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 the kind of, a, I think investors come in various forms and I think the investment market has also changed somewhat. Uh, if you go back like 20 years ago, and I've had multiple exits as a founder, as a founder, I've had four exits, I've sold three companies to public companies and one, one more to a private company. And the issue with uh, the, the capital markets is a venture capitalist 20 years ago was really someone who took risks with, the, with seed stage uh, capital. Today, most of the VCs, I would call them as uh, people who put money behind not startups, but scale-ups. So the real startup money is with friends, family, angels, and smaller groups. So that venture market has sort of moved on to venturing things which already have a kind of a already showing promise and so on, but they're not really um, putting a lot of money into, into companies which are early stage. So we have to seek investors who are really uh, interested in the market, who really understand the market and can see the potential because the market is quite significant. If you just take the healthcare professional market alone, it's in the billions. Now, if you add uh, the consumer market, that means people who are going through radiation therapy for let's say cancer or some other ailment, then you're talking about a market that is significantly higher, uh, probably in the 50 to 100 billion dollar range. So, so now there is a significant market and investors need to you know um, have an opportunity to invest in a company like us and there are similar companies in other uh, parallel areas in, in medicine where where or medtech where um, investors should should take a look because the 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 uh, these are global platforms that means they're not re restricted to any particular country these can be can be used worldwide a huge opportunity in fact and and i encourage investors to to definitely look more closely at, at opportunities like this Back on the topic of radiation, what would you say are the more common misconceptions that you hear about as part of your work space? Um, in terms of radiation, like misconceptions? Yeah, in terms of radiation, it's understanding of what people think it is. What would you say yeah. are the common misconceptions? Yeah, so, so one of the things that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, most of the misconception is, even when I, I'll just say my personal experience, when I went to the, you know, for dental procedures, cleaning or uh, x-rays or whatnot that happen quite frequently annually in, in the U.S. And uh, the medical professionals themselves never used to uh, put enough uh, safeguards on the patient or even wear enough 
aprons with uh, lead protection and so on um, even as recent as five years ago but I've seen a huge shift where nowadays when you go there they arm you with a lot of things and uh, to ensure that you are not getting getting in uh, any sort of after effects of radiation so I think uh, perceptions are changing but people because you can't see radiation they tend to not take it seriously but that, that's one of the problems with something you cannot see and and we are using a technology to detect something you cannot see and um, and we do it in real time that means uh, unlike the current protocol which takes 60 days ours takes 60 seconds that's our tagline in fact it's like we cut down the, the time to see radiation from 60 days to 60 seconds. So this is something real. It's something that happens every day and, and the medical professionals and, um, and patients need to, to understand that when you go into these facilities, you are irradiated uh, sometimes by on a, on a daily range it's almost four times five times even ten times the amount of radiation you're supposed to get on a daily basis you actually get let's say you go and visit someone at the hospital if you took a dosimeter from us you'll see that <laughs> your ranges are quite high compared to normal so uh, it's something that cannot be ignored it's quite serious actually so in terms of a dosimeter, if I was to wear one, where would you say are some places where maybe I don't realize I'm getting radiation exposure outside of a healthcare environment? Sure. So obviously hospitals and so on is one area. The other areas are in certain professions and in certain, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, vocations uh, and certain places rather. So in, in the U.S., for example, if you go to any government, uh, government building, they have radiation equipment right at the front to make sure that you're not carrying any, any explosives or weapons or whatnot to enter the building. Similar types of things happen in the airport, which is another area where there's a lot of radiation equipment to scan things and so on. Uh, some people in certain vocations like mining, and in, um, in, in those who work in the airline industry. Because once you are on a plane at a certain altitude, the radiation is much higher than it is on ground level. A lot of us travel, even including myself, and we don't realize that, but that's actually the truth. Um, so in certain professions, certain places, you're exposed, but you, again, like you can't see it, so you think it's okay and you just go about your business but uh, there are after effects um, and, and sometimes we don't realize that. So on the topic of forming a startup, so you've grown companies, you've bought companies, you've sold companies. What were yes. some of the mistakes you made early on in your career? So if we can go back and talk to the younger Raghu and he's there at his first startup sure. that he's working at, what would you be saying to him? <laughs> sure. So I would say that it, it depends on you know, startups can be found by a single person or can you can partner. And uh, if you partner and you have more than one founder or co-founder, then it becomes very important that everyone on the team uh, is of the same mindset and work at the same pace. One of the most difficult things that I have found is people get together, say, they, they go after an idea, they're all excited, but later on they grow at different pace. One person might be really working hard and producing a lot, the other person is lagging and not carrying his weight, 
and that is the type of problem that you have when you have more than one founder so i've had that type of a situation in some of my previous startups which led me to basically um state that when i want to work with other people they need to work at the same pace or we need to have you know we'll be mutually uh, collaborative and 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 sort of like you know add value to each other so in a couple of those startups that i sold i actually was a sole founder where i just ran the show and i hired a strong team around me and then went that way in the case of clinitrack it's kind of a special situation where dr reddy is an industry expert he is been is a certified board a certified surgeon and in spine surgery and orthopedic surgery he knows a lot about radiation and so for me he complements the my technology side of things so he came up with the idea and he knows a lot about the space and lot, knows a lot about the procedures and the people and so on and so i can take that and build a product around it and develop hardware software firmware cloud software mobile app so on and so forth all of it to bring this vision uh, to fruition and so it's been a very very you know uh, malleable very easy to work relationship where we both add value to each other and that's easier said than done very hard to achieve in most startups very very hard but that's something that i would share as my own experience um but sole founder you have to carry the load yourself it's hard but when something goes wrong you can look at the mirror because that's where <laughs> you can go and see where you went wrong but with co-founders then it has to be the chemistry has to be very very good otherwise it's going to be a tough one and as you was building these businesses did you make use of mentors or is this something that you did on your own for most of the time and if so if you made use of mentors how did you discover them yeah so that's a good one uh, in fact sometimes i wouldn't you know i've used mentors uh, in some cases for sure i've had uh, f- folks who have been on my board of advisors who have uh, been my mentors and um, and some people actually some of the better mentors what they do is they reach out to me and say let's have coffee today let's see what have you been working on and they sh- i share what i've been working on and they give me feedback and and so the mentors that really um do their job actually take an earnest interest and you know of course they get a little bit of equity stake for their troubles and so on and so i found i found that very useful and um and also by talking through what's in your mind every entrepreneur i'm sure you go around you are building a business you are worried about sales you are worried about employees you are worried about fundraising what about a lot of things but sometimes when you talk through with someone who's there to listen and and that person is listening and giving you some feedback that actually clarifies your own thoughts a bit better and i've had that experience over and over again in fact um uh, some of the folks on 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 some of the journeys i'm i'm on right now or have been on i talk to them often and i come back i come out of that meeting thinking wow i went in thinking i knew a lot of things but i came out thinking wow you know i learned a couple more things here that will help me immediately and and that's the sort of thing i think everyone needs to find the person so finding that person is difficult i think you have to observe people and and you know not anyone and everyone can become an advisor or a mentor but if you know of people that you 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 trust and you also have 
uh, a great admiration for for what they've per- perhaps done in their careers or whatnot. Uh, you could possibly approach them to say, you know, can you help me out as an advisor, mentor, and whatnot. I think that's the best way to go about it. Just getting mentors who have never worked with, or you don't know, just out of the blue. I think that's a tougher one. So I think it it comes with some relationship building over time. So being a serial entrepreneur clearly takes a lot of your time. But what do you get up to outside of work? So. I'm a crazy soccer fan and a soccer, you know, I, I still play. And so that keeps me, you know, excited. And also, as you guys know, soccer, you require to be fit. And so I try my best uh, <laughs> to stay fit. And um, so that that keeps me going. And now we're in English soccer season. So for the next eight, nine months, my Twitter group is 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 buzzing every day with something or other. <laughs> so that keeps me occupied. Outside of that, you know, I, I I I you know binge watch a lot of stuff, interesting stuff on uh, all the streaming channels. That's uh, that's also another thing I love to do. So Rogu, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. What one piece of advice would you be leaving the listeners with? Um, you know, I think uh, right now we are in a kind of an interesting age of technology where there's a lot of convergence of many things. Uh, and, and we have seen some of that permeate in the med tech space, like cloud computing. Uh, AI is actually making a lot of inroads in different areas of medicine. And a lot of the medical devices uh, and, and technologies that are in the space are beginning to leverage some of these uh, te- technologies. And, and what I'd say is the medical field, uh, you know, has not been the fastest to adopt a lot of things. Some areas, yes, but in many areas, they are slow. I think, I think for the betterment of uh, healthcare and, and patient care and so on, I think it's important that the medical field keeps up with the, the pace of technology because uh, that can really make a difference in, in, in the care of, uh, of people uh, who are suffering from various ailments and things like that. Thank you, Rajmi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to episode 58 of the MedTech Podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe. If you wish to learn more about him, you can connect with him online or visit his company website, the links of which are provided in the description. If there are any particular topics or guests you'd like for me to have on the show in future, then feel free to reach out.